I want to tell you guys all about Cave Day, which I've been absolutely loving the last few months. I joined Cave Day after reading Atomic Habits by James Clear. You might have even heard me mention Cave Day during the Atomic Habits five-part miniseries. Cave Day are group-focused sessions led on Zoom that focus on monotasks. So have you ever had a task where you constantly feel just distracted by Instagram, your phone, text messages, TikTok? It takes you forever to do something super simple. Cave Day asks you to put your phone somewhere where we can't see it and focus on the one task ahead of you for the period of time you're in the cave. I take it one step further and use one of their weekly planning workshops to decide on my goals for the week breaking them down into monotasks, and planning out my week of caves so I can get it all done. I've never been so productive. You can do one, you can sign up for one, two, or three hour long sprints, depending on the task in front of you. And it doesn't even have to be work. Let it be that yoga session you keep pushing off, or meditating, or making a fun lunch, but have other people there to be accountable. I work from home and sometimes, especially with this podcast, it often feels like I'm doing everything on my own. So logging into these focus sessions, seeing other people work, using cave day strategies and techniques and routines that help me stay on top of it. I feel like it's just a no brainer. Join me today. Try the first month for only a dollar or your first three months for only $40. I get so much work done in the cave without feeling burned out. The link is in my show notes for the discount. Welcome to another episode of Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Simone Miller, a New York City-based actress at credits in TV, film, commercials, off-Broadway. And if you're new to the podcast, use this as your guide to pursuing a career in the entertainment industry. Today, we are focusing on actors or anyone who wants to learn a little bit more about acting from one of those, one of the most incredible acting coaches alive. If you haven't yet, please find us on Instagram at Michelle Simone Miller and at Mentors on the Mic on Twitter. I also have a wonderful mailing list. If you want to hear a little bit more from me, I only send out like one email a week, if at all. So it will not bombard you. But the mailing list link is in my bio or in the show notes to this episode. And stay in touch. Let me know what you think. Write a, give me a five-star review <laughs> and uh, and give me feedback. I love hearing from all of you. So let's talk about our guest today, shall we? I first heard his name around 2014 or so. And actors spoke about him with such reverence and casting directors recommended his services to actors and workshops. If you asked a casting director, are there any acting teachers you specifically recommend? This guy's name would pop up. And I kept wondering what was so great about him that people would describe him as life-changing. I mean, that's literally what actors would say. His, his teaching was life-changing. And at one event, a casting director said that after a couple actors she knows worked with Bob Krakauer, she noticed an immediate change in actors and their work. 
Bob rarely does interviews. I really, really, really am grateful for him to come on to this one. And I'll just give you a little bit more information. Here's a little more about Bob. Bob Krakauer is recognized as one of the top acting teachers and coaches in the business. His clients have been nominated for Academy Awards, Emmy Awards, Tony Awards. He's sought after by studios, networks, producers, actors, and he works primarily from his home base in New York while maintaining a schedule of coaching on set for film and TV around the country. His clients have included Rooney Mara, Michael Lembeck, Josh Demel, Louis C.K., Reba McIntyre, Jessica Hecht, Laurie Metcalf, and so on. Many of their quotes can be found on his website, which I added a link in the show notes. And in this episode, we talk about everything. We talk about his start teaching first-year graduate acting and working as the associate director for American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco by 24, making him the youngest person to hold that post at a major theater school in the U.S. We also talked about what he learned working at an agency for a year, later in casting television, and what that taught him about working with actors. There's some great lessons there. And he also gives great advice on what actors can do outside of their work. And he gives a wonderful tip on how we can approach a scene. Without further ado, here's Bob Krakauer. Welcome to Mentors on the Mic. I'm so happy to have you. And thank you for doing this. I know you don't do this often. Uh, It's my pleasure. So, Bob, what was your first role in the entertainment industry? Uh, The first play I ever saw, I was 17. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey and they took a bunch of us to see a play, uh, which made literally no impression on me. And the second play I saw was when I was 20 years old because my girlfriend wanted to go to Chorus Line, um, an, a play I completely didn't understand. And four years later, I was teaching acting at the American <laughs> Conservatory Theater, to which I can only say who thought that was a good idea. But ultimately, that was uh, I was a stage management intern. I made $50 a week, so I guess that was my first job. Amazing. When you were there, did you have any idea this is something you wanted to do? Did something click, if you will? Or you just kind of were like, I'm going through the motions and this is the next thing? Well, I never, (laughs) I didn't have any dreams or aspirations of any kind. It's a long story, which I I won't go into, but I, I accidentally fell into an acting class in college to complete a credit. And unfortunately, one of the things you had to do (laughs) <laughs> to uh, pass the class was uh, audition for a play. And I tried to talk the teacher out of it, but I wasn't that charming. So it was uh, Old Emir's Clay Pot. And I was cast as the Clay Pot. And Oliver Platt, Oliver Platt was in it. And I loved, I loved rehearsing. I thought that was fun. But being on stage was catastrophic. They don't make them anymore, but it was mostly quaaludes and donuts that got me through the performances. And I asked somebody, is there a job where you can rehearse all the time, but not have to be on stage. They said directing. I went, no, 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 because then I'm responsible for the whole thing. Another job where I'm not responsible for the whole thing. And this guy, the Downing class uh, professors laughingly said to me, well, you could always teach acting, but you don't know anything about it. And I was like, but I can rehearse basically all the time. It's like, yeah. If I'm good at it, is it possible at some point I won't have a boss? He's like, if you're good at it, sold. Which is why I applied to ACT, although that's a, a nutty story. I think in a lot of ways, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. I think in a lot of ways, our lives pick us. 
because the number of screwy, odd, strange things that had to fall the right way for me to end up where I ended up, uh, uh, there's, there's too many to count. Starting with, I got hired as the stage management intern at ACT. When I got there, it turned out that the general manager thought the stage managers needed an extra intern. The stage managers thought the general manager needed an extra intern. Nobody needed an extra intern. So I was hired and then there was really no reason for me to be there. But, you know, made the best of it. Yeah. Did you learn from anyone while you were there? Were, were there any teachers that you shadowed or anything? I mean, I assume you're really good right away, just naturally at being able to communicate with actors. I think that's something I keep hearing in the different people that have worked with you, that you you see something, you see an issue that they have, and you're able to kind of very expertly connect with them and show them a different way of doing it, show them a different perspective, and it and it hits them. So I think that is obviously natural. What about the terminology? What about, did you, did you kind of make it up or did you learn from someone like, oh, this is what they normally say and this is how I can make it easier to understand? No, I, I had no theater background. So, uh, you know, it wasn't like when I was in high school, I was sitting around discussing Aeschylus. I mean, I, I just didn't, have a theater background. Alan Fletcher, who was, this is probably hard to explain now, but at that, at that moment in time, the regional theaters and the regional theater conservatories were a big deal. And Mr. Fletcher was kind of the king of that. Him, a guy named Michael Kahn, who was at Juilliard, Zelda Fitzchandler, who was at NYU. He was a very unique guy and didn't really get along with a lot of people for reasons that Nobody understood, including me, he took a liking to me. And I think it was simply because I didn't ask him anything. You know, he would ask me to do something and I would do it. And then I would sit there and I, I made no demands on him. But he was the person that I watched the most. He was the first person I, I started to understand what I needed to learn to do this. Except because I didn't have a theater background, I also thought a lot of what I was seeing was not really good. Didn't It didn't make any sense to me. It was seemed very highfalutin and theoretical, and it seemed like the actors agreed to stuff they didn't know what they were agreeing to. And, and sort of the giveaway was, you know, you'd, you'd take a class, and then everybody would go to the Penny Farthing, which was a pub nearby, and then argue about what had happened in class. And I just remember thinking, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why? Why does everybody have a different understanding of this? It also was clear to me, nothing applicable to film and TV, and film was mostly what I watched. So I think I benefited from having no, <laughs> from having no background. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there are things that I had yeah. liked and for which I owe uh, Mr. Fletcher to debt I can never repay. But frankly, a lot of it was like sitting around going, why are people agreeing to things that I know two hours from now they're going to tell me they don't understand. Do you mean like, uh, you know, in like in the heightened sort of situation of, of whether it's auditioning or scene study class or wherever you're performing, there's an element of someone giving you a direction and you can kind of, and I've been there, but like you see actors kind of just nod their head like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then later go like, I, I probably didn't get it. No, I think it's even more basic than that. Like they would argue over what an objective was. Like everybody had a different understanding of what it was and then a different sense of how to execute it. When the teachers critiqued it, I was like, well, how does anybody know what they're talking about? I mean, 
you know, in later years, I worked with the Atlantic Theater Company. They had, you know, they had the practical aesthetics, which was extremely interesting and smart. But they would come up with names for actions like lay down the law. And then somebody would do a scene and then the teacher would go, see, lay down the law. And everybody would go, yeah, lay down the law. And I'd be sitting there going, how do we, how did we all agree that that's what this is? It was as basic as that because I had no lingo. I had no history. I was coming at it clean. I had no preconceived notions. And I was just a guy from New Jersey. So it just didn't, I wasn't trying to be an artist. <laughs> and so over time, sort of with that as a guide, you know, when you do anything long enough, you'll figure it out. But I just came to realize that you could just say very simple things in plain English that anybody could understand and probably uh, move them further along than trying to get everybody to agree to a series of concepts. Do you find that your communication style relies heavily on stories? Like, do you feel like that's the best way sometimes to connect with actors is by telling them a story that leads to either a direction or a feeling or an understanding? Or is it just honestly, you know, different for different people, whatever comes to mind in the moment? Well, when you first, in what we call the new student class, you're just sending out a series of skills for people to learn. The people that hang with us, over time, you can start to individually start to understand what their habits are. And some people, the habits are great. Like, why change them? But other habits get in their way. But yes, I tell stories. But the only reason I tell stories is because I don't think an actor's private life um, is entertainment for other people. So I never ask anybody any personal questions of any kind, but I'm happy to use <laughs> myself and all my folly to uh, anecdotally demonstrate a point, which is why I tell stories. I'm trying to keep from having, I don't want you to have to tell stories. Understood. You're not, you're not someone who would ask the actor. So let's, let's, let's dive in. What was the last time you felt shame? Tell us about that. Yeah, no, that's above my pay grade. That's a different person you need to talk to. Right. Cause if somebody said to me, and it did happen in, in school, you know, somebody would say to me, well, you know, this scene's about you and your father. <laughs> I can't remember who the teacher was. Cause Mr. Fletcher said, if you want to be a teacher, you have to take acting for a year, which I did with Quaaludes and Donuts. But I remember somebody saying to me, you know, so this is a scene about you and your father. Tell me about your father. And I was like, and without skipping a beat, I was like, fuck you. Why don't you tell me about your father? How about that? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Right. I occasionally will ask somebody to close their eyes so I can't see them and I'll float a question. And when they think they have it, they'll nod and they'll open and we'll go. But there's no discussion. There's no revealing. It's not our business. It just isn't. Understood. Well said. So by 24, you became the youngest person to hold a post at a major theater school. So that's a big deal in the U.S. And then in 1986, you took over the acting program at the Actors Theater of Louisville. So, you, you know, you were teaching at different places. When did you start? When were, were you an assistant to Susan Smith at uh, Susan Smith and Associates Agency? No one has ever asked me that. I loved Susan Smith. I should say, for those that don't know, Susan Smith was truly, 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 truly one of the great agents of our time. A very small agency, just her. She occasionally had partners, uh, which didn't always work out. But her taste was amazing. I mean, I worked for her. After ACT, I went with Alan to start the National Theater Conservatory. And then he passed away. And I was 25 or whatever, and clearly not 
qualified to take over a conservatory. And then my dad got sick. He had cancer. And so I came back to New York, but he, he wouldn't let me come back unless I had a job. And so I just called a bunch of friends and I got a job at Susan's. And her client list was amazing. It was like Brian Dennehy, Tom Hulse, Jane Kaczmarek, uh, I think Bradley Whitford, Kathy Bates. I mean, her mm. it was amazing. Um, and she was very, very loyal to them and they to her. And this is no secret. She was also 40 miles of rough road on a good day. For whatever reason, she was hard on everybody in the office, but not on me. And nobody understood why. <laughs> it was very confusing. Why do you think it, she wasn't hard on you? Honestly? Because she was Jewish and I was the only Jewish person in the office, to be to be frank. I mean, I don't know that that's true, but that's how I felt about it. And it was the only explanation anybody had. But she, when she couldn't go to the theater to see her clients because she knew I had a theater background, she would send me. And I learned so much there about what it means to be a working actor. Um, and also... You know, we ran in packs. I mean, I was in my 20s. And some of the people I ran with were like Rhonda Price and Ruth Ann Secunda and David Kolodner and uh, Peter Levine and uh, A.B. Kaufman and uh, Alexa Fogel. I mean, who are now? After we were all in our 20s, we were all assistants wherever we were working. And I got to know those people and really liked them. And I learned a lot from them about why actors that I liked, they didn't, and why actors I didn't like, they did. And it all revolved around what makes somebody, somebody you want to hire. And which is really, you know, coming from the theater, but having no real theater background, that weirdly made more sense to me. <laughs> and so I thought about it a lot while I was there. And Susan offered to franchise me as an agent. She wanted me to be an agent there, which I think I would have enjoyed. On the same day, John Jury called me from Actors Theater Louisville and asked me to come interview. And I wasn't, didn't really know what to do. And my father, who was quite ill, said, look, go do the theater interview. You, you want to teach. If it doesn't work out, you can be the agent. But if you start to be an agent, you'll probably never go back to teaching. He was a, he was a smart guy, my dad. Yeah. So, so I ended up going to Actors Theater after that. So what was it? I heard you, I mean, you said it really beautifully there in terms of what you liked and what they didn't like and vice versa. But I heard you mention in another interview something similar, which is the actors that you felt were really good but wouldn't book and the actors who wouldn't book or who would book, but that you didn't really like their work as much. So mm -hmm. obviously there is a difference in some ways of the people that are working, but that may not necessarily have whatever it is, I don't want to say talent, but, but, but something else. What, what do you think that is? What did you notice? Well, the first thing I noticed was that my opinion didn't matter at all because there's skill and there's taste. You and I can talk about actors all day long and they're going to be actors that you like that I don't and vice versa. You know, you, you can start a near riot in a classroom by bringing up Anne Hathaway. So I know it was a matter of taste. And part, part of what you realize is Alexa Fogel's taste is not Evie Kaufman's taste, is not Mark Sachs' taste, is not Carmen. They're human beings and they have their own taste in acting. So you as an actress can make a tape and send it to Alexa Fogel and she's not interested and send the same tape um, to Kathleen Chopin and she's going to say, where have you been all my life? So that was part of it. And I, I thought, well, then there, if there's no universal, what is there? And there were two, basically two things. The thing you can't control 
which is how you come across on a camera. There's nothing you, that's, you know, you can do things <laughs> to alter your appearance. You know, I've had the great good fortune to work with um, some of the IMG models. Most of them are people, if you sat next to them, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be like, oh my God, but they get in front of a camera and something happened. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. Yeah, there's, there's that and there's not much you can do about it. But the rest of it was, I realized was skill which is why we teach skills. We don't teach. So skills, can can people also refer to that as technique, almost like audition technique, right? There's something about... Well, to me, it's on it's on camera technique. The, you all are most interested in auditioning, which I understand. But it's on camera technique. The things that we work on are true on set as well as they are at home, especially now that you're making your own tapes. I mean, we treat actors... Uh, I, I treat actors as filmmakers, because at the moment, as it turns out, that's what you are, whether you want to be or not. I started to work on it in theater, and John Jury did me a great service, which is he basically said, here's your budget, don't burn down my theater. I had the run-of-the-mill ATL, but with that budget, I didn't bring in theater professionals. I brought in agents and casting directors because of my previous experience. And lo and behold, a ridiculous number of our folks who were in Kentucky were getting hired for things. And it was just because they were exposed. They were in their early 20s and they were ex exposed to people who needed them. And it wasn't complicated. It was what it was. But nobody had used the money for that. It was always, you know, let's bring in a Chekhov teacher, a Shakespeare teacher. And I just decided I'd teach those myself and spend the money uh, introducing them to the profession. I don't know that they were any better or any worse than the other actors. I just knew that you had to get people in front of people. Otherwise, what was the point? Absolutely. So at what point did you start working in casting? Yeah. So Alexa and I had met, you know, five or six years earlier and she was then in charge of ABC and they were, they were hiring a lot of my students. And she's like, why don't you come back to New York and work for me, I wasn't really sure I wanted to do that, but two things were going on. One is I was having a, a bad time personally, having a lot of personal struggles. And the other was I'd missed New York. So I came back for those two reasons. So I could be back at home and find a good therapist. <laughs> and the first show I did was NYPD Blue with uh, Stephen Bochco and David Milch. And I, I mean, when I say that I was the, it was Alexa's show. Yeah, um, I get it. You know, I pre-taped and read with actors. But still, I mean, and I tell this to actors who are like, well, what kind of internships do I get in school while I'm trying to, to be an actor, trying to, to study to be an actor? And I always say, you know, if you can, if they'll hire you, do an internship at a casting office oh, yeah, or absolutely. at an agency yep. because of the same things you're saying. So what did you learn in in casting that you maybe hadn't picked up on no, I, what happened was I was bringing in actors like the big New York actors and Mr. Bochco and Mr. Milch weren't responding to them. And then they would bring in people and I'd be like, I don't get it. I, I actually almost got booted off the project. But again, you know, when I say our lives because I was going to get booted off the project and then Mr. Bochco, I don't know how it came up, but it turned out that Alan Fletcher, who was my mentor, had been his teacher at Carnegie Mellon. And because of that, he was like, all right, fine, I'll explain it to you. 
And so he started to show me why they liked, why this actor was useful to them and that actor was not. And, and a real light bulb went off for me because it actually had been all the things I'd been thinking about since I was at ACT, but everybody told me I was wrong about. And I realized as he was telling me these things that in my mind's eye, I was mostly thinking about film and TV, not about theater. And that the things I was thinking about were more screen related. And I was very lucky. I got to do uh, my so-called life. Um, Which the showrunner was on our podcast, Marshall Herskovitz. Yes, Marshall. I don't know if you interacted with him at all. Uh, a little bit. Again, mostly Alexa. It was him and Ed's wick. And uh, as, a, as a side note, you know, the show was beloved but canceled. I know. I loved that show. I, I remember watching repeats of that. I was like, this this is great. When it was canceled, I was then working at MTV and my and I loved the show. And by then I had I was working for a guy named Joe Davola, who's I think one of the greatest television executives who's ever lived. A great guy, a real he turned out to be a real friend, a, a real character, just the best. And I had started to learn about ratings and stuff like that. And what I noticed was that the low ratings that my so-called life was getting would have been high ratings on MTV. And so I went to Joe and I said, why don't, why don't you figure out how to run this on MTV? Uh, and the demographic was right for them. And then he and Doug Herzog, uh, made a deal to run it on MTV, which it did. Uh, Bob, look at you. Look at me. All of them should thank you for all those residuals. I don't think they got any. I don't know. That, oh, yeah. yeah it's MTV, MTV. I guess. Right. Let's just break down for people who haven't taken your classes yet. What are your classes like? So once a month you try to do, you do this intro, which is about, you know, a few days, many hours. How does that work? Can you break it down and then explain how after that people would be able to work with you? Yeah. Again, I, I don't think I created it. It it was it was created out of the circumstances that surrounded it. The new student class, which simply means new to me, right? I mean, we we have classes where we have models who never acted and Tony Award winners who can't book a Law and Order. So there's no, we don't audition people. We're not on social media. We don't run ads. I mean, nobody knows we're there unless somebody tells them. And because I think talent is subjective on a good day. I, I don't engage in an assessment of it because I might like an actor that you might not. And now you're going to tell, I'm going to tell you they're talented. You're going to tell me they're not. So I don't get too bent out of shape about that. Also, I've worked with people from Yale and Juilliard and all those places, but I've also worked with basketball players and hockey players. And it's, it's something that anybody can learn if they're willing to put their time and effort in. And by the way, when you have somebody like from Juilliard in the class and you have like, and you have a model, you can always see them go, ugh, with a model. And then that model stands in front of the camera and they go, uh, huh? <laughs> oh my God. Also, if you're a model, you understand the frame and camera work and your, your eye immediately picks up where the light is in the room. It's just amazing. So it's a four, four hour sessions, although my time management isn't always the best. So it's, sometimes it's four or five hour session. There's a scene done in the first class to teach certain skills. Everybody works. There's no such thing as watching. Everybody has to work. The second day builds are two scenes that build on the skills of the first day. The third day builds on the previous two days and the final day puts it all together. So it's, a, it's again, it's 
not as mysterious as, pe- as people make it out to be. Well, it's mysterious only because it's it's hard to get into. I mean, in the sense that you just have a lot of people who want to be part of these classes. And I think only a certain amount that you can have uh, each month, which makes sense. I mean, it sounds like something... It's not like you can do this every weekend. That's a very specific process, right? That's... Uh, yeah. Yes, it is. Well, we're going to... I mean, we, we started... Uh, I have some teachers, a couple of folks that work for me who have, who started out as actors and who have been with me for, uh, Gamila Wright and I have been working together on and off for 20 something years. I love Gamila, by the way. I worked with her at a TVI Actress Studio back in the day. Oh, really? Yeah. She's, she's an amazing, uh, teacher and private coach and astoundingly even a better human being. Um, Jess Cummings, who's been teaching for over a decade uh, is going to start teaching a new student class as well, just so we can open up the studio to more people. You know, when we, when we uh, took our own space, which I had never done before, I'd always rented from other people. We realized that we had to be responsible for things, ways that we'd never had before. And we weren't sure that we'd be able to do it. And we were trying to figure out how to do this. And I was talking to, I can't remember, but it would have had to have been Larry Moss or Leslie Kahn and were other acting teachers, wonderful acting teachers. And, and what I learned talking to them, because Larry had his own studio for a while, gave it up and Leslie has her own place in LA was that we were in essence allowing about a hundred and 50 people into the studio each year and where most studios are letting 150 people into the studio each month. So I was like, Oh, so we tried to figure out what the problem was. Um, and it took a little while to figure out, but we realized the problem was me. So, <laughs> so, uh, Jess, I had sent Scott Freeman as a studio acting studio as theater teacher. He wanted a couple of film teachers. So I sent Jess and a, a nice fellow named Vance Barber over there. And they'd been teaching there for a while and they had to deal with new students. So Jess, who's taught a version of the class and who's been teaching and has been with me for over a decade, she's going to start teaching the new student class as well. I think she actually started this month. We're doubling the amount of people that are taking the new student class and we're still woefully less than pretty much everybody, <laughs> everybody else. Well, but it's a little baby steps. We're getting there. Yeah. And, and also we've talked about this on another call that, you know, we all have our strengths and it, you know, we're just trying to learn the stuff we don't know. And then my next question really is just in your opinion, what do you think actors should do every day or most days to keep up and to be a better actor? Are there any habits in place you recommend? Um, anything about approaching text? What do you suggest for actors who are listening? Well, the first thing is to try to live your best life under whatever circumstances are, are currently available to you. I mean, obviously, when you're learning how to act and you're not working as much as you hope to, and you may have a second job and a third job, uh, and you're living in New York City or LA, uh, living your best life is 
uh, extremely difficult and utterly challenging, but it can be done. And, and part of that, I think, is, I think one of the benefits of class, especially in-person class, has to do with meeting other actors. Because no, no one can do this alone. It, it really does take a village. And, you know, we try to foster as much as we can people working with each other, taking care of each other, being there for each other. We don't make anybody do anything because if I have to make you rehearse, then you got bigger problems than whether you're going to be an actor or not. But we encourage our gang to help, which is why it's called the gang. Uh, we, to help each other out. So, uh, you know, Take care of your life. Find people who can keep you on task, right? If you know you're going to meet every Tuesday and Thursday to work on a scene with other people who are going to hold you accountable, you'll probably have more of a chance of showing up than if you do it by yourself. A hundred percent true. It's a little bit like going to the gym, but... But do you recommend that for actors, that they have a continuous thing once, twice a week where they work on stuff with other people? I think everybody's different. So I, I don't know how to answer that question. That's fair. No, uh, that's an answer. Yeah. Here's the one thing I would say. There are a lot of actors that ride the wave based on their intuition. And eventually that wave runs out. You have to learn what you're doing and how you're doing it. So that that's what skill is. It's something that it's a process you can repeat. And Whatever way you have to come up with that, any way at all, by any means necessary, I, th I think is important. But your way doesn't have to be my way. And if it works for you, it works. But it's got to be a process you can depend on. Understood. And then with the second question, any recommendations or tips for actors to approach a scene that they have to work on? Is there... The like a first question they should ask themselves, in your opinion? Are there a series of questions? Uh, I think the first thing they should do is nothing. They should just read it. Uh, Anthony Hopkins, the way he works on things, according to him, is he just reads the script every day from cover to cover because his belief is he doesn't work on the script. The script works on him. And I think there's, I think that's really smart. So the first thing I would do is just read it a bunch of times with no sense of how to make it work or try to do anything with it and just and just see how what instincts you have, what impulses you have, what you associate with, what you don't understand, and just let those things come to you. I think I genuinely think that's the first step. But like I said, everybody's gonna have their own first step. But for me it's it's doing nothing and just and just letting it talk to you in any way that it does. I really love that tip. I'm going to, I'm going to do that today for my audition. I'm just going to keep reading it over and over. And, and I like it. It's, it's the idea of just, you're, you're creating that intuitive response to it for yourself. You're allowing mm -hmm. that to happen. Well, yeah, because your, your intuition by definition is never wrong, right? Your, your reasoning can be faulty. In other words, your brain can get in the way of shit, but there was a playwright named Lanford Wilson. And, uh, back when I was teaching theater, I used to assign the first few pages of a scene from a play called Home Free. And the first few pages, if you read them, seems like it's a play about lovers living in uh, a small apartment in New York. As the play opens up later, you find that they are brother and sister, 
and they're agoraphobic, meaning they're fear of open spaces. So they're stuck in the house. And invariably what would happen is people would read it and, and, and feel like they were lovers. And then once they learned they were brother and sister, they would say, Oh, I was wrong. And I'm like, no, no, the brother and sister is the relationship. But apparently in this relationship, the circumstances have been created where they are entirely dependent on each other. And if it comes across as romantic to you, then it comes across as romantic to you. So you know what I mean? Their, I do know what you mean. Their, their instinct was pure and then their reasoning got in the way. That's interesting. So, so in, in general, I think both things can be true. They can be brother and sister. Correct. But yet, like you said, the intuitive response to it, which is, you know, didn't seem like they were brothers <laughs> and sisters. And, and I think maybe that was, that's something that could be worked on in and of itself. Both things can be true. Oh, yeah. Nothing, nothing is binary. More than one thing can be true. And then you use skill to funnel your, that's what skill is. Skill is the facilitator of your intuition. So I have to ask, Bob, is there any sort of tip on skill you can give us to, to think about? Is there anything that comes to mind in, in something you teach all the time, a skill? I mean, and you, and we can, you can save it if you'd like. If you want to save it for, for class and have us all come to class and learn it, that's fine. But is there any sort of tip on skill that you're referring to that you could share with us? Well, I don't think this is any secret. The, the approach is all story-based. It's all about the story. We're storytellers. And if you can't tell the story of the scene, the chances are extremely high you won't do a good job with it. Love it. Um, I guess my last question then would be, You've been teaching for a long time now. You Like you said, you used to rent out spaces in New York. Now you have your own place called The Gang. You guys call yourself The Gang, which is amazing. Is there anything next? Is there something that you're looking forward to? And that might not be the way you work. It doesn't sound like it might be the way you work. But is there something you're you're looking towards is there is there an evolution of the gang of this of your studio that that you're that you're looking towards and, and wanting to see is there is there something you're looking yeah i don't look <laughs> i don't look toward yeah, anything that's fair. um i've been doing this now for years and uh <laughs> and the truth is you probably i mean i don't know anything about you personally but you probably don't know anybody luckier than i because I get to do something I enjoy doing, uh, which I still enjoy. In fact, enjoy it more than I ever have. I get to do it with vibrant people of all ages because we don't run ads. You know, there's, you're always worried about the day that you open your doors and nobody shows up. And whatever has happened with this thing, I started teaching film and TV in 1992. Whatever has happened with this thing has happened organically. And whatever we're doing has been a, a response to the circumstances that we have found ourselves in. You know, I'm just happy our doors are open every day and, uh, and consider myself unbelievably fortunate that I'm still doing something that I like because I know when it comes to work, that's, you know, that's not true for a lot of people. Me too. All right, Bob, thank you so much. That was amazing. I, I appreciate all the tips. I cannot wait to take your class. And I really appreciate you coming on and just sharing a little bit of your story and what you do and how you connect with people. And it's it's beautiful to listen to. So thank you. All right. Thank you, Michelle. You were, That was lovely. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to Mentors on the Mic. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend in entertainment you know would love it. Let me know what you've learned or what stayed with you on our Instagram at Mentors on the Mic. I love reading your messages. Uh, You can also find me at at Michelle Simone Miller on Instagram. On both accounts, I'll be sharing even more information about our mentors. Talk to someone about what you learned today who would really appreciate it and send them the episode. Also, if you love the show, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really makes a huge difference in growing this. It makes it easier for people to find our podcast. And I love reading your reviews. So thank you so much. And I'll see you next week. 